Hi, I'm your host, Nicole Kane, and you're listening to the Home in Place podcast, where I translate theory to practice and create cross-discipline conversations about aging and the importance of place. I am so glad you're here. Today, I'm talking with Jennifer Yuriminko. Jennifer is the founder of Social Score, a nonprofit organization that educates the general public about the importance of social connection and the role of the built environment in forming social ties. Social Score also supports building practices and policies that promote social connection. Jennifer developed the Social Score Guidelines and Inventory Tool while completing a Bachelor of Design Studies program from the Boston Architectural College and was honored to receive a commendation of excellence for this work. She continues to engage with students, industry professionals, and the general public to facilitate putting these concepts into practice through speaking engagements, educational programs, and community development programs. Visit socialscore.org to learn more. Now, on to my interview with Jennifer Yuriminko. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. I am incredibly excited that you're here, and I'm thrilled to be having this conversation with you. Oh, thank you so much, Nicole. I'm really happy to be here. So I would love to start out with your journey. I am very curious how you got to got interested in this topic. Yeah, so um, I was attending the Boston Architectural College, and it came time for our degree project. And the um, requirement was to dig deep and find what's most important to you in life and what brings you the most joy and happiness and apply that to architecture in some way. And so um, I thought about it and thought about it. Realized, you know what, honestly, the most important thing for me is the relationships in my life, like my friends, my family, like that's what really fuels me and brings me the most joy. And my goodness, does that have anything to do with architecture? How in the world could this possibly relate? So I started digging into the literature and was so surprised to learn that we actually have over 60 years of design research showing that how a place is built has a huge impact on how easily these social ties can form. And um, one study in particular that was really formative um, blew my mind because it showed that the people who were living near the stairwells where people walked most frequently had the most friends. And the people who were living farthest down the hall, who were the most spatially isolated, had the least friends. It was a direct correlation between how much just visible contact they had with other people and how those formed into relationships. And it's so incredibly simple, um, but uh, so often just off the radar for a lot of people. And so I thought, oh my goodness, I've been in design school and working in the field for you know all these years and I've never heard of this component of how powerful the built environment can be, I bet, and I, you know, none of my peers had heard it, none of my professors or anything like that. So I thought this is an important thing to uh, get the word out about. So that's why I created Social Score. Um, and I saw that, you know, this is a, a critical and oh, increasing risk to our physical health. One of the things that I also saw as I was digging into the literature is that everyone knows that 
your social ties are important for your happiness. But as I was looking at the literature, I was so surprised to see how powerful they are to your physical health as well. Um, most people don't really think that um, it would be better to call up a friend and go out for a little bit of time hanging out than it would be to go to the gym. They think it would be much better for you to like lose some weight, but the statistics are staggering. They show that it actually is equivalent to smoking a pack of cigarettes a day if you're too socially isolated. And um, so they said, you know, if you're doing all of these things for your physical health, then you can't ignore the social component too, because it's so powerful. Um, it affects, you know, survival rates of breast cancer to a huge degree. You know, there's just so many uh, things that are affected by how isolated a person is. So I saw this as um, a critical risk factor to our physical health and architecture plays a direct role, but most of us don't know it. And so I had to um, dig it out of the literature on my own during my degree project. And I thought, well, I should save people the trouble <laughs> of having to do that every single time they're working on a project. Let's make this simple. And we've done this for um, things like um, environmental considerations about food and water systems. And this is just as important of an issue. And so it's time that we have this sort of clear um straightforward way of understanding how the built environment impacts our social ties so that designers, uh, policymakers, and even the general public, when they're looking at selecting a home, they can be aware of this, about what are the factors that are going to support their physical health and what's going to undermine it. So, I love this so much. I, um, I feel like I'm geeking out completely right now. I'm very, <laughs> very excited. And so I love to what you've done. You have this, I imagine it as kind of a, an overhead view of this, where you're seeing all of this literature and all of this work that's been done, and you're pulling it together and saying, look, we know that social connections are important to health, wellness, longevity, happiness. And we know that the built environment has a direct in in effect on our social ties. So how do we right. design as built environment professionals? How do we actually design for that? And you have some incredible examples. And if you wouldn't mind, <laughs> <laughs> just give me all the examples. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's actually, it, it, it's um, one of the things that drew me to this, because when I was looking through the literature, I saw most of these studies are referencing the motivation of the study uh, as things like increasing walkability or um, uh, incre increasing safety and reducing crime. So um, all of these things are related to social ties and um but not necessarily the studies were focusing specifically on increasing the social uh, ties in that neighborhood. So um, yeah, that's, so that's why I thought, okay, someone needs to pull this all together. But um, it, it's fascinating because so many of the examples that I saw from the literature are uh, very specific things. You know, for example, um, in order to um, create these social ties, um, you first need to uh, promote 
public interaction. That's basically you get people out of the common areas of their homes and their cars um, and then get them to run into each other as frequently as possible. So that the second goal is to promote recognizability and then set up the environment so they can have conversations, which is, you know, uh, the sec the last stage of creating a place that's hospitable to that. So, um, but some of it's so specific, like when you're creating the city seating in these areas, make sure that the seating is eight feet from person to person. So there's a, um, a distance of no more than eight feet between people because when you have um, a distance of greater than eight feet, subtle nonverbal communications begin to break down. And so those are, those are uh, little that we wouldn't necessarily um, recognize, but they do have a cumulative and, and powerful impact. Um, so one of the things that I often see is that they have these great common areas and big lobbies, but there's no seating. And so people will often um, just walk straight through instead of lingering in these common areas. Um, or another uh, thing that is very common to see is that they there are beautiful common areas that have lawns or something like that, but um, there's a, an element that I call uh, triangulation or, or a magnet. Basically, you need to have a reason to go into that space in order for it to be um, compelling for people. So they'll leave their homes and, and actually go into this environment. So sure. I see a lot of yeah. yeah beautiful lawns, but they don't have any draw to the, go to that particular environment. Okay, you have some amazing pictures on your website that I'm going to send people to, but paint us a mm -hmm. word picture right now. So what would be an example of something done really well? Mm. Yeah, so I recently did an evaluation of a senior living community here in Orange County um, called Freedom Village, and um, it's, it's a beautiful example because um, they have managed to cluster so many of these elements in one central location. Um, and it is um, on a required route as people are going from the main entrance to their individual units. Um, there's a combination of um, seating and beautiful lighting and artwork and restorative features, things like plants and comfortable, you know, water features. Um, and those are beautiful, but then there's also things like the shared mailboxes are located there. So there's a, a requirement that they have to go to that particular place. And um, there's a, a hair salon in that lobby as well, as well as dining and a game room. Um, and so it's a, bit, a hub of activity that can happen there. Um, and so, and there is a great deal of visibility between the uh, areas because of the windows, the internal windows and things like that. So um, it's, it's a great way to start thinking about these factors and how you can combine them. And uh, so when you do look at the website, uh, instead of thinking of them in isolation, think of them as clusters of how can we maximize these and energize these particular common areas with all of these things. Yeah. You know, another work that, that I really like that you've done too, is reimagining what spaces can become. So I, um, the ones that, that are coming to mind, um, from your work and, and I, sh I should say, um, I met Jennifer at Edra 
Sarah this past year, the Environmental Design Research Association conference, where she had a fantastic presentation. And I basically ran up to her after she was done. And I was like, here's my card. Let's talk more. <laughs> but in that presentation, she just blew my mind with these reimagined spaces that um, I think were primarily apartment complexes. That's what I'm remembering. But could you talk about that too? And in a... Um, you know, in apartment complexes, which is going to have people of all generations? And how can these spaces try to connect the generations too? Ooh, that's an excellent question. Um, so you're talking about Crystal K, which is a multifamily community um, here in Orange County as well. Um, and it's a, it's a great community. And I, um, did a tour, um, one of the homeowners invited me to come and take a look at one of the areas there that was, uh, underutilized. It was just basically a big dirt patch <laughs> that they wanted to try to do something more compelling with. Um, and so, um, as I was walking through, um, an elderly resident came up to me and I love that she stopped and chatted with me for a little bit and started asking me like, what are you doing? You have a clipboard and you're taking photos. What's going on? You know? So I, it was lovely. And I had a chance to get some inside information about what her community is really like. And, um, it was fascinating that one of the first things that she said was she's one of the only older residents that goes out and walks every day. And she started listing several different people that she knows who are in her age that won't leave their actual apartment. And she's like, I don't know why they don't, but they just say that they don't feel safe. And I, you know, I go out and I, you know, I do, but, you know, I thought that's so important to take into consideration is that you know in all of our communities we often have these invisible residents who really don't leave and we might not know they're there because we're not knocking on their doors but they're so profoundly isolated and um, little gestures that we're doing spatially are signaling about how safe is this place can we go out for a walk in the middle of the afternoon or should we stay behind locked doors? And um, things like, uh, how are the fences set up? Or do we have, in, in this particular community, there were uh, tall iron fences with points pointing out into the common area. So it, it uh, looked like uh, prison fencing, <laughs> I guess is a way that I would have initially thought about it. And I thought like, wow, this is just around the community pool they must have a crime issue here. And I was asking my friend who lived there and she said, you know, she's, you know, in her thirties. She said, no, I don't, you know, this isn't a really affluent neighborhood. I don't know what's going on, you know? And, but those, those are the sorts of um, things that I think have a powerful impact that a lot of uh, people who are making these decisions don't necessarily uh, notice the impact. So, um, Another excellent example is uh, a different community where uh, a friend of mine lives, and she was saying that her husband was um, hadn't left the house in about a week, and she was so frustrated with him about that. And she, they're both in about their seventies, and you know she goes out and is involved in the chorus and involved in Zumba and all these things, but he just doesn't really go out. And so she said, and he used to. Uh, leave the garage door open and go downstairs and sit in the driveway and um, give dog treats to all the dogs that would come around the neighborhood. And that was the thing that he did. And it was it was great. But then the 
homeowners association um, notified him that the garage doors were supposed to be left closed. And so he went back upstairs and stayed indoors. And um, some people might have said, oh, well, in that case, I'll carry a chair downstairs and bring it back up with me. But it was enough of a barrier that he didn't do that. And so I think it's so important to be aware of what we're asking residents to do and how that might impact somebody with limited mobility. Um, you know, if they're not able to drive, then they're less likely to go to these activities that, you know, Zumba or joining a, a, a league of some sort. So um, these might be the most um, accessible opportunities for connection that some people have. So, um, Absolutely. Yeah, so that's what I would say. <laughs> oh my gosh. That story just makes my blood boil with the HOA. No, HOA, mm. don't do that. So when right. designers are thinking about spaces, how can they design? What how should they be thinking mm. and how can they design to increase socialization? Right. So um designers, please go to my website and download the free <laughs> design guidelines. It's super simple. It's designed as a checklist, basically, that you can use in pre-design. So um, it has, a, you know, a few things that you can be aware of. But the big um, overview uh, is that you need to um, promote public interaction, you need to promote recognizability, and you need to promote conversations. And each of these, I call these the three pillars of social score. And so each of these three categories have spatial factors that support these particular goals. So um, under promoting public interaction, you have to provide common areas. Um, and this is basically any area that is not uh, part of the city property and not part of a private residence. So it's a place where people can go to get, you know, out of their homes and out of their cars where they could meet. Um, you need to prioritize pedestrians um, and you need to provide like visible boundaries between um, what is public and what is within the community and as well as what's within the community and what is a private residence. So that having those gradients of privacy um, is very important in promoting a sense of safety. So all of that came from um, crime prevention studies and things like that. Um, and so under promoting this element of recognizability, I just have to say recognizability is the weak link in much of what we're seeing. Uh, there is a lot of wonderful public parks, um, but they serve populations that are far too large to actually promote these unintentional meetings that you need in order for a friendship to begin to form. I see. So it's not early. recognizability as in, oh, I recognize this park and the space and I'm comfortable here, but actually being able to recognize people that you see frequently in those spaces. Is that right? Exactly. What an important distinction. Thank you so much for mentioning that. Yeah. So, um, but, right. So in order for a social tie to form, you have to move from being a stranger to becoming an acquaintance to becoming a casual friend. That takes, uh, one study showed 200 hours of interaction, um, I think in order to get to a good friend. I mean, so this is a tremendous amount of time investment. And so, yeah, so you need to be able to see these people on a regular basis, because if you have a great interaction with someone, but 
you never see them again. They're never going to become a friend. You know, they're a, a, a stranger you had a great conversation with. So um, that's the important thing about promoting recognizability. So in an architectural setting, you promote recognizability by encouraging repeated contact. Um, and there are several specific ways you could do that. Um, and one example is the common areas should be visible when you are in a residence. Uh, like when you're within your home, you could look out onto the common area, but the views to that common area need to be filtered in some way. So it's avoiding a fishbowl effect. So you don't want open windows directly next to, you know, an atrium or something, but you, you know, would want uh, well, one excellent example of a way that I saw that this done is there was an internal atrium and the windows faced into it, but they had these beautiful plantation shutters inside. So um, residents were using these plantation shutters to indicate how much um, they were interested in having a friend over. So if the shutters were completely closed, it meant please don't even knock on the door, we're busy. If the the blinds were just cracked a little bit, it meant, yeah, you could come over, it's okay to knock on the door. And if the, the blinds were completely open, it meant we're having a party right now, come on inside, anybody's welcome. And so that was something that just organically developed as a way to um, communicate in a very subtle way with your neighbors. Those sorts of things are brilliant because it gives people control over how much they want to engage, which is a very important thing to do. But it still allows for the possibility that they could when they do want to. Oh, that's so fascinating. So, and I feel like that's something that's going to develop with time and with that intimacy that the the rest of the space has also provided too, to have that absolutely. unspoken language be understood. Oh, that's so fascinating. Yes. Okay, so we have just yeah. a couple minutes left. And I would love for you to talk about how people can use this social score, maybe on their own homes or communities or neighborhoods, or if I know you mentioned that students have been using this as they're going through schooling. Right. And and um, really how they can find you, how they can access Social Score, and any sort of call to action that you'd like to give for the listeners. Mm, yeah, so um, the Social Score inventory is designed to be able to evaluate a space and it creates a single numerical score that really clearly illustrates how likely you are to form social connections in a particular setting. So um, it distills all of this literature into something so approachable that the general public could understand it without needing to have architectural training. So um, when you do go to socialscore.org, there's a place where you can download the sample inventory and the guidelines. And so you can use this inventory as a checklist in pre-design. Um, and I'm also using this as a post-occupancy evaluation tool. So um, if you are interested in that, please shoot me an email. Um, and if you also are just interested in these concepts, I'd love to hear from you. Um, I think it's important to collaborate as much as we can and to do everything we can to get the, 
the word out to the architectural community as well as the general public about how critical of an issue this is. I truly believe this is the next wave of preventative health care, and it's something that uh, we want to really be aware of and focusing on in the future as an industry. I completely agree. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Nicole. It's been a joy. Thank you for listening to Home and Place Podcast. You can find links to the items we discussed on the website, homeandplacepodcast.com. Subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode. While you're there, please rate and review the show. It really does help more people find the podcast. If you have show ideas, I would love to hear them. Reach out on my website or social media. I'm on Facebook and Instagram at Home and Place. I'm your host, Nicole Kane, founder of Home and Place Project. I'm an independent researcher and consultant focused on age-friendly community planning, residential universal design, and person-centered analysis of the built environment. To connect, collaborate, or just find out more about me and my work, visit my website, homeandplaceproject.com. Special thanks to the Audio Information Network of Colorado for broadcasting this episode to their radio listeners. Learn more about them at aincolorado.org. And finally, thank you to Delia of Northfield, Minnesota for composing and performing this original music. Take us home, Delia.